Welcome everyone to season two of the Immigrant's Journey podcast, a space where we learn and grow through immigrant stories. In this episode, I am delighted to welcome Dublin's Lord Mayor, Hazel True, who has been elected as the first mayor of Dublin with an Asian descent. It's been a real achievement. Welcome to the podcast, Hazel. It's Thank so you for having me. Here. Um, so you're a Kildare girl. I am. I'm actually a fur house girl first. I was born and raised in uh, fur house and then we moved to Kildare, Salbridge in Kildare, uh, when I was about six or so. And then I moved out to Dublin uh, after college, during college actually. So, What was it like growing up in Ireland as a child of immigrant parents? Good. People were really lovely and friendly. There were obvious, obvious uh, incidences, uh, which I think all immigrants can tell you of, um, uh, kind of racially related uh, racist abuse. But it, it didn't happen all the time. And the majority of people were so nice and the majority of people are still so nice. I think one of the things I found growing up as second generation uh, um, here is that it's kind of odd in so far this is home and you've grown up here and you're born here but you're still trying to make sure you marry both cultures because at the end of the day you have your parents kind of culture and heritage and uh yeah so so it was it was interesting times in the 80s and 90s i think a lot of people saw me and thought oh novel because she's different <laughs> uh, like that's the thing in my primary school first primary school uh, uh kids well, at the age of like four or five, six, uh, kids are just normal kids and they run around, pull your hair and do stuff like that. But uh, it, by the time I got into later primary school in Selbridge, because I was the only Chinese girl there, they were there going, ooh, there's someone different than our cat. And it's, it, it was funny. And it's, uh, I tell the story of how my granny, even though she can't read or write, she gets a neighbor to send us stuff from Hong Kong and she only writes in one line which is Chu and Selbridge and Kildare and it always got to us because again people knew us because we were different and it was a good thing it was always a case that differences were celebrated whereas I think it's less so these days so what are some of your favorite aspects of Irish culture and Chinese culture Oh, Irish culture, there's so many. I, I think having a crack is, is one of the best ones. So when I first heard that word, I was like, what do they mean by crack? Is it like, I've heard that so many times in, in uh, growing up. Is it like crack? Is it a crack is something? Is it crack? Is it like someone talking about that kind of uh, hardcore drug that people talk of? Or is it like some other crack? And then, uh, so it's odd kind of uh, growing up with phrases because we speak Chinese at home. So when I speak English to my friends or as I'm in school, you pick up language. But having a crack with, with your mates is, is the definitive kind of thing about Irish culture that is is amazing. Uh, I, I think also uh, the, the camaraderie, the community. Like I've been to, I've been living in Sydney. I've been living in New York. Lived in um, Guilin in China and Hong Kong as well. And it was always Ireland that was home. And it wasn't just because I was born and raised here. It's just Ireland is home. And it, there is something about Ireland that that you just you you tie yourself to and you love. Equally with Chinese culture, I think there's. There's a huge element of uh, kind of family f first. So like with all Asian kind of 
families, especially Chinese families, it is more than anything that you respect your elders, that family is, is the main goal, is your main kind of uh, thing that you you uh, work for, shall we say. So and that is what I love about it, is that no matter how much you hate your family in, in, uh, in Chinese culture, you're always tied to them, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. So, uh, and of course the food, the food in both cases, because uh, Chinese food is amazing. I, I love it. Uh, authentic Chinese food. Spice bag is not authentic. Correct. I have to tell you. So no matter how many of my friends tell me, ooh, a spice bag is, is so Chinese. It's not, lads. It's definitely not. Uh, the food, well, and f- but funny enough, I don't like rice. And um, yeah, years of eating rice, I, I don't like it. So the first time I went to the Gale Talk and the poor Bannon tea, uh, she knew there was a girl uh, who from uh, kind of Chinese heritage coming and she was so excited and got there and the first dinner she cooked she put a plate of rice with the ham uh, in front of me and I looked at everyone else's and they had godo fashion and the cabbage and potatoes and I was like oh, why, why are you going to have that and she just goes oh but like I, I thought you'd like rice and I said oh I really don't like rice and it was you should see the disappointed look on her face and I just went oh but it's absolutely okay of course and like I, I, it's delicious and I ate and like of course you eat it you don't disrespect people but it was only afterwards I realised that she had stocked up in I don't know how many packages packets of uh, Uncle Ben's rice um, just because I was coming and I felt so bad for her then uh, but yeah but I love Irish food as well I love baking cabbage and potatoes I really do <laughs> uh, my other half made coddle the other night and it was delicious so it's it's that kind of the food element uh, the, the the friendliness the camaraderie but also like I think in both cases both cultures like we we have great respect for for people we we work with we know we like like that's the thing they're very respectful cultures as well both of them so definitely yeah when did you realize that politics was for you um when my other half wanted to run and didn't have a campaign manager so (laughs) this is the thing i'm very much the um I, I, I did think about this a lot recently of if I had started younger or if I'd done this sooner would have been better but I don't think there was sooner there, there could have been maybe if I was active after college but I grew up in an immigrant family that knew nothing about Irish politics like between my mum and dad they were they were in a household where they were both working two jobs to make sure there was food on the table for myself and my brother uh, and at the time even my aunt and my uncle and their kids lived with us so there was nine of us in the three bedroom and my mom and dad were the main earners as, um, so was my uncle he was working as well so so it was difficult to to even make sure those day-to-day expenses were covered never mind then learning about politics or learning about how uh, Irish society kind of works so it never got passed on to me and equally like during school and college it wasn't until college i i picked up more about how politics work but even then i kind of thought well you know people it is that kind of thought of people like me aren't in politics shouldn't be in politics almost thinking shouldn't be and it's that kind of line that 
a father once said to me recently, uh, you can't be what you can't see. So I was very much of the thought, well, well, I don't see any women who are any way different in politics. So obviously this isn't for me. So and in a Chinese family with a tiger mother, I've always been told, well, you know, a good job is being a doctor or being a lawyer or being any of these things. So I trained to be a barrister and it was only after I met Patrick, who was oddly a uh, child protection social worker and working with homelesses and addicts and also uh, uh, kids who were neglected, that he got really annoyed about how policy worked and it didn't really benefit those on the front line as much, that he got into politics because he was also very embedded in the community and community work side, that after meeting him and working on his campaign, then I realized, oh, this can be done and this and even because he never ran before and he didn't have any connections now he happens to be male so uh, and Irish so uh, so he he kind of thought well I'll, I'll, I'll do it anyway and um, he topped the poll and it was only then I realized oh anyone can do this this is great <laughs> so and that was my first foray into into politics so what do you like about having a political career and what do you wish was different I love that it's it's different in itself. It's funny. Uh, every day is slightly different, and I like it hasn't escaped me the gravity of of my kind of how important this is. The fact that I am Lord Mayor of the city. So like we're sitting in a room with with portraits of uh, Lord Mayors dating back to eighteen twenty five. Like this this is a position that's been uh, revered and here for 355 years now at this stage and it's it's important and it's also to me it's it's as I said different and it's different that I'm in it and it's really interesting it's surreal because things are different now with COVID the role itself has changed but politics in general it, it's also it opens up it opens you up to connecting with the public as well. And that's really important because at the end of the day, you're working for them. So so I think, like for me, the interesting part of the job is that I get to be in contact with the public quite constantly. Uh, I get to fix things for them, which is what I'm quite good at doing. Uh, what will I wish it was different, I think? What I wish was different on a local authority level is that there's more power to the councillors because I think what you notice with councillors is that um, we we ourselves become almost like a first call um, customer service <laughs> response team, uh, whereas previously there was more power given to councillors and your local authorities then worked better and there was more balance. Uh, I think the other more every day-to-day thing I would do differently is to make sure people understand that your politicians, yes, they should be held to a higher standard than they are. Um, they are accountable, but they are not there for you to troll or they're not there for just because they're a public figure doesn't mean that they don't have a family. It doesn't mean that they don't have uh, um, um, kids themselves. They're not there for you to become a punching bag either. So so I think this is this is the thing. Like I, I think people forget that when they look at politics and they kind of look at politicians and go, well, they're being paid so much money. They're fair game. You look at our councillors, they're being paid 17000 a year and it's part-time, but it takes up a lot of their time, so might as well be full-time. And they get a lot of uh, slack um, constantly, or uh, flack constantly. So.
I watched your interview with Rob O'Hanrahan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned that the role of Lord Mayor is evolving because of COVID, hmm. from being one of mostly attending public events to maybe more policy. What would you like to see the role develop into? Well, this is the same idea as how I think there needs to be local government reform. I think there needs to be more power given back to councillors. And in terms of the Lord Mayor, I think it needs to be a directly elected mayor because I think there is scope there for a directly elected position that would would work with the executive but independent of the executive as well and would be representing all of the people of Dublin not that I don't but I think there is a huge amount that you can learn from when you look at the likes of New York or London in terms of directly elected mayors I think there would be more uh, more executive powers then uh, budget to do actual kind of um, items that are needed to be done in, in the city so and I think term limited as well you don't want anyone in power for too long as well so and I think that's that's the thing the accountability to the people and being able to change that role to something that the people go okay we're, we're choosing for that person more than anything else so rather than they choose via the parties which is what the setup is right now so I see and how does it work at the moment? Is the Lord Mayor appointed and how long does the role last for? No, it's not appointed. So what happens is the role is voted on by the councillors. Now, a good few people have come at me online going, well, you know, like it's all fixed anyway. It's, it's not, if you look at... So what happens is when you are in local government, you will um, have local government kind of um, coalitions, just like you would have national coalition for... Our coalition, we have the Greens, we have the Sock Dems, we have Fianna Fáil. Um, uh, sorry, we have Green Sock Dems, Fianna Fáil and Labour. And that would have a majority vote and would be the controlling group within the, the government then. And people always say, oh, because you're the controlling group then, obviously you you will have your set amount of mayors already proposed and those people will get voted through. If you look at a wall outside with all the photos of the previous Lord Mayors, at least two of them, I think, uh, were part of controlling groups, being the candidate put up by the controlling group and didn't get it. So because they uh, votes can run shy, and this is the thing, this is why just because you are the person nominated by a group doesn't mean you necessarily get it. Or in my case, what I did was make sure um, I got all the councillors involved. So I went and asked for the vote from Sinn Féin, which I got from um, all their councillors. I went and asked for the vote from the independents, from PPV. And this is what the role is that you are canvassing and asking so as much as people say oh you were just appointed there no I had to run an internal contest within my own party that had uh, at least four candidates fighting for this position I then had to run uh, external um, uh, uh, competition uh, external contest with uh, with another candidate uh, from Fine Gael uh, and make sure that I could get the position so um I had a coalition support, which was great, but at the same time, I made sure that I had support of all the cancers, which is what's needed. So, That's very interesting. Um, your former colleague, Saoirse McHugh, alluded in one of her tweets that there is serious reform needed in Irish politics, and you commented that 
having the same thing happen in politics year after year with little changing as a source of cynicism amongst the public and that diversity of thinking is really needed. Given how tribalistic people are and how innate it is to congregate and cooperate with like-minded people, do you think there are some steps policymakers can take towards breaking up the monotony of thought and reforming institutions into more diverse and inclusive places for people with diversity of thought? Like in the whole conversation of diversity and inclusion, I rarely hear anyone discussing diversity in thinking. Yep, I think that's a very good point because I think when we talk about diversity of thinking, people kind of say, oh, diversity looks like this and points to a group of people, but they don't necessarily believe that if you have an opposing opinion, then you are you should be part of the table. And you should be, because I think diversity of thought is important. A lot of people have said to me, well, in regards to then, if you look at policy around kind of uh, hate crime or, or uh, racism, does surely you don't mean bringing people from the far right or anyone involved. And I would always look at Obama and how he had what they call the White House conversations in the states, where in each given uh, state and actual mayoralty, it was uh, the mayor that was in charge of the various city ones, that they had these conversations about uh, prejudice, discrimination, uh, uh, race divides, and they had both sides of the tables on. Now, they didn't invite extreme kind of flag-waving uh, 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 far right, but they did... Um, invite both sides and that's what you need in terms of having diversity of thought you need to be able to accept opposing opinions as well as and that's what makes the culture even better so and uh, policy even better because it builds to making policy more inclusive if you don't then what you will have is the same thing so just slightly different year on year or being repackaged by a different person so which doesn't work so and I, I think it goes not just in the centre, but left of centre and right of centre. You need to make sure you have all of them around. So, On the topic of racism and right-wing politics, you mentioned a concern for the potential rise of right-wing politics in Ireland. As minority voices, favourable or not, minority voices are gaining more and more attention due to social media. As you said, there is a potential for a new game to be played. From the side of right-wingers, it seems to be based on fear-mongering and scapegoating. As you mentioned previously, they tie the difficulties the country is having with immigration. But as we say in science, correlation does not equal causation. Things are always more complicated than they seem. For anyone that just went, what? Causation? Correlation? It just simply means you may observe a relationship between two phenomena. So for example, a rooster crowing and the sun rising. But it doesn't mean that the rooster's crowing caused the sun to rise. Also technically the sun doesn't rise. So it's just a simple point on how complex and misleading perception can be. Just because difficulties in a country arise as the influx of immigration arises, doesn't mean necessarily that immigration is causing the difficulties a country is encountering. You have to dig deeper because surface level analysis just doesn't cut it. It's not going to give you the answers to what's really going on. But right-wingers do point to legitimate problems in society like housing, jobs, etc. 
but many of them lay them at the feet of immigrants. Your idea, I think, is to open up honest conversations with people. As a society, we have a broad mix of people with different temperaments, personal ethics, all which colors our views on societal issues. I've recently recorded an episode on when is immigration good or bad for a country? And I did a lot of research for that episode based on many academic studies. And as suspected, the answer or some of the answers to the question is, it's complicated. I'm in total agreement with the sentiment, let's try to have the hard conversations. What do you think would be some of the resistance you'd run into in trying to do that? I think your, your main resistance is everyone thinks they're right. That's the problem. So, and when you have the establishment, as I like to call it, uh, that's already been there entrenched in views for, for decades and they think they're right, then there's no room for anyone else that would be slightly different. Uh, and this is the unfortunate thing about politics. This is why things don't change sometimes because they don't necessarily think diversity of views is a good thing because it's also looking at our overall landscape and and how people vote. When you vote in uh, certain parties again and again, then those parties will definitely believe, well, this is what the voters want, this is what's right, and they'll never change. And that's part of the problem as well. So, Yeah, that is a difficulty. And speaking of opening up dialogue, this is something I've always wondered about. How often, if ever... Do politicians consult psychologists in dealing with opponents, promoting their views, their policies, and <laughs> agendas? <laughs> no, because it seems to me like you're in the people game, yeah. and psychologists are people who study human behavior for yeah. a living. Theoretically, it makes sense to... It does, and I'm sure if you look at, say, the states, they probably do, especially when it comes to campaign time. I definitely know from training as as a lawyer that uh, with jury selection over in the states, you would have a lot of kind of um, psychologists kind of advising on what's the best way, and it happens in politics as well over there. But less so here. Here, I think it's very more the traditional, this is how we, we campaign and this is how people vote and this is, and I think it comes back to your very first question of why is, why I love Irish culture and why is Ireland so great? It's because Irish people happen to be very open as well <laughs> and honest about what what they are unhappy with as well as what they are happy with at times. So so I think this is the thing. You you have less of a guessing game when it comes to, to individuals. And I, I guess that's why you don't need the extra support of having sociologists and psychologists kind of determining what's... Now, when you look at research... I know a couple of research companies may have individuals like that supporting them because I think if they're doing a certain piece of research, they need kind of uh, to delve into to that kind of detail. So, Yeah, definitely. What is the most ambitious thing you wish to accomplish in your career? In my career, whoa, uh, I thought you meant uh, this year. <laughs> Maybe this year is my career, that's it. Um, in my career, on a professional level, I would want to make sure that in, I guess, overall career that we are down in terms of homeless um, figures to zero. <laughs> so like you, I know you can never, I, I know that's unachievable, but it shouldn't be. Like I don't think having uh, aspiration of eradicating homelessness is, is, is 
something that's unachievable because let's be honest the practical side is you have to have services and housing for people and that is that that is essentially that what needs to be done um i think that will be my main aim is to make sure that we eradicate homelessness and uh, have a healthcare system that is fit for purpose that will be my ambition for professionally on a career because i think those are your fundamentals of a working society to make sure people have a home and to also make sure people have healthcare. so on a personal level i would want to make sure that my daughter looks in the mirror in in like 10 years 20 years time and don't think there's any issue with anyone from any background running for anything so or being involved in anything so i think true equitable kind of politics that takes in diversity of um appearance but also diversity of thought so so if she is a hardcore kind of lefty but uh, at that point yeah i would like to make sure people take her seriously then as well as in that any person young person especially can look in the mirror no matter what side their politics are on or what they look like and they can get involved i think that will be a personal ambition of getting to that stage and we are far from there at the moment and even if you look at kind of gender equality in politics we're like at the low 20s when it comes to council when it comes to shannon and when it comes to doll representation and that's not quite good enough so i think well, on a personal level the diversity element would be one of the things i want to make sure by my end of my career that we are at 50-50 so that's a really good goal what do you know now that you wish you knew in the beginning of your venture towards politics um <laughs> that it, it it takes up a lot of time <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it takes up a lot of time and a lot of people say to me, oh, politicians, they're constantly on holidays and they do nothing. Oh, Jesus, like I've been on the go nonstop since I got elected in a good way. Like I love it. But since last May, it's been nonstop. Now, I happen to chair a political party as well. So so that will be partially my own fault So uh, to, to want to get involved there. But it is it is nonstop and also i guess i wish if i was to advise my kind of 16 year old self right now i would always say if you get into politics make sure you stop second guessing yourself so because you will always second guess yourself on on things and it doesn't help when there are massive kind of public opinion especially online that tell you you're wrong after time or the ones who think you're right never actually tell you you're right so the ones that tell you you're wrong always tell you you're wrong so so i think there is a huge amount of second guessing now that also comes with a disclaimer no one is right about anything everything yes. um, all the time so as much as i would say i don't want to be this arrogant i'm always right person i also think that the learning curve is listen to the counsel that is important to you and that is valid and don't second guess yourself once you made a decision so yeah that's great advice i have one final question You've recently been featured in the September October issue of Irish Country Magazine oh, yes. <laughs> as one of three change makers with a minority background here in Ireland. I can't wait to read it by the way. 
how did you feel about being featured in that issue? Um, well, I only saw the cover yesterday, and I'm on the cover giving someone an evil eye, obviously, <laughs> because like, like Ellie and and uh, Eileen look so happy, and I'm there going mm, there, and and it's shot kind of obviously um, individually, social distancing, so it was all shot individually, and you you kind of photoshopped the cover, and I was going. You, you, you couldn't find another picture of me uh, but it was brilliant to be part of it it's like I've known uh, well I haven't known them but I've heard of both Ellie and um, Eileen for so long so I met Ellie, uh, Ellie then and I met Eileen recently and they are incredible women but the, the very fact that they come from diverse backgrounds minority backgrounds and have gotten to where they are and have champion causes uh, with people noticing it's it's an incredible thing and to be part of that it, it's a huge honor so uh, a lot of people have said to me oh yeah I see you're on the like good cover now <laughs> so laughing going well, yeah you can see that I'm just like one part so uh, of it but it, it is an honor to be part of it so and like and it is an honor to it's also I guess surprising but also uh, great that Irish country would take on that uh, that kind of narrative and would take on take on to champion that. Not quite surprising. I think surprising is the word, wrong word to use there because I think as a publication they would have kind of been very ear to ground. But I don't think a lot of people would have thought the three of us could make a cover um, ten years ago. Shall we say? So. Yeah. So yeah, so it's it's nice to see change. I always do say though, it's good to be the first, but it definitely you can't be the last. Mm -hmm. So like, it you, you can be the first at anything change wise, but um, if you're the last person, then there's something wrong, and that in itself needs changing. So absolutely, thank you so much for your time and sharing a little bit of your story and insights. It's been a pleasure. As well, you can find Hazel on Twitter at Hazel Two where she posts many engaging videos on what's happening with her role as Lord Mayor. Hazel, thank you again for your time and insight, and until the next journey, ciao!